The Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association takes this time to thank our 2023 corporate sponsors. Bristol Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, BioMarin, Tanaya Therapeutics, Edgewise Therapeutics, and Embrya. And thank you to our 2023 annual patient meeting sponsors. Bristol Myers Squibb, BioMarin, Boston Scientific, Cytokinetics, Tanaya Therapeutics, Edgewise Therapeutics, Rocket Pharmaceuticals, and Alnylam Pharmaceuticals. With additional funding provided by the J.T. Babbitt Foundation. Good morning, everybody. It is December 15th, 2023. This is Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, simultaneously streaming on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. And welcome to all those who are watching wherever you are. It is December. It has been a really big and heavy year for the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association and the HCM community. And we are really excited to kind of wrap up this year and get ready for next. I am joined today in podcast land by a longtime friend and colleague, Dr. Harry Lever, Cleveland Clinic, cardiologist of 40 plus years experience. And one of our first HCM experts in the world that we could send lots and lots of HCMA clients to to get proper care for their HCM. Harry's now enjoying his retirement and keeping busy with some projects that are really important and we're going to talk a little bit about them. So good morning, Dr. Lever. I know lots of people are happy to see you. Happy to see everybody else. Thank you very much. The past year has brought more change to HCM care than probably in the history of the disease. Just having a myosin inhibitor introduced to the market in 2022 was a big deal, but it took a while for that noise to get around and it really permeated through 2023. Many of you have seen commercials on television about talk to your doctor about HCM, which has brought more attention to the disease state and to cardiologists and to patients and to people who don't know that they're patients yet. So we've done a lot of great work in educating people about disease in the past year. But Harry, can you help our listeners understand why HCM is so different than coronary disease or valve disease? Why is specialty care as important 2023 and 2024 as it was 20 years ago? We're dealing with outflow tract obstruction that can occur because of um, thickening of the septum, interaction with the mitral valve. Sometimes we see mitral valve prolapse and there's different degrees of mitral regurgitation. So it's a, it's a wide spectrum and that's what makes it complicated. And so you got to realize that there are lots of uh, parts of the anatomy and you've got a lot to look at. And that's why, you know, one patient to the next can be very different. And so that's why you have to see many patients to get a good idea of what's going on. Beyond the variations in individual patients, there's also subgroups that need additional attention or maybe have been a little ignored in the past. I was taken this week by talking to two families over about 10 months 
who have children who have very similar phenotypes and very similar presentations. You don't typically see two that are the same, but these two young ones, one in Texas, one in Georgia, these kids got a rough start before the age of, you know, 10. They're looking at myectomies and implantable defibrillators. But 15, 20 years ago, we weren't as good as managing these tough kids. And in expert hands today, they're, they're getting much better care. And they have a long life ahead of them because of technology that can be used at high-level sensors. They need more attention. The kiddos need some more attention. Our communities that have been disengaged in the past for a multitude of reasons need some more attention. So African-American families, Latino families, and Asian families families are still underrepresented in the HCM population as a whole in this country. The majority of those diagnosed with HCM are Caucasians, are typically near programs that, that can care for them. So we need to spend 2024 looking at health equity and HCM, making sure all communities are represented and can get access to these specialists. We're really looking forward to continuing that work. I'm going to talk a little bit about the HCMA's year and get some perspective from Harry on some new advances. And then we're going to talk about a problem that Dr. Lever and I have spent a lot of time talking about, and that's some things about generic drugs. Before we get to generic drugs, 2023 was the first therapy delivered for genetic therapy in HCM. We don't know the results of patient one yet, but we know that in October in your town, Harry, and at your program, Cleveland Clinic, dosed the very first patient with gene therapy for HCM. So 23 is a historic year. We move the envelope in a completely different direction, right? This this is this is big. What do you think about these advances in HCM care from somebody who's seen a lot? Well, I think we have a lot to learn about it. And I think we don't know yet what effect gene therapy is going to have, but it's certainly something new to think about. And I think we all, we need a little time to work through it, but it, it's something new and it may well work uh, to turn people around. And we need to, we need to, to see that. And the new drug, that's, that's also very important. And uh, that may actually help cut down on a number of people that need surgery, but we still have to learn about that. And ultimately, we're going to have to see what the cost of the drug is truly going to be. We, I don't sure that we quite have a, a, the best feel for that yet, but we need to know that. You bring up a good point. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole now. So just for the audience's uh, perspective, Harry and I do not discuss everything we're going to talk in podcasts because and it's boring. We want to be spontaneous and have a real conversation and let you see how we talk. There have been a lot of efforts over the past couple of years at the federal level for PBM reform, plan benefit managers. Who are plan benefit managers? They are an entity between the manufacturer and the pharmacy that negotiates prices. There's no transparency. So when you hear about a label being presented like a new drug coming to market and this big price tag. It's kind of like buying a car when you could really negotiate down from sicker price to tissue price to what's the real price. And there's this shell game of what prices were. We've decided that in most consumer products, we don't let that game be played anymore, but we're perfectly fine with non-transparency with drug prices. The PBMs negotiate with the manufacturers. They get rebates for where it is on formulary and making it available. So, this PBM, who's this middleman, is making money 
just acquiring the drug and passing it along. They don't add value. They will tell you that they add better discounting or what have you, but it's all part of a game now that's that's stacked up against the patient. So what's actually happening in healthcare is because PBMs are getting a percentage of the money that that drug actually cost, and they're not adding anything to the healthcare system, the people who are taking the most expensive drugs and are the sickest are producing the most rebates for the insurance companies. And the insurance companies get to keep those rebates and split them with PBMs and not pass it along to the people who are sick who are using these expensive medications. And there's no transparency to consumers about where the dollars are going and how that's all happening. PBM reform has been on the list of things that have been running through the state houses and and the federal government. And there's some potential legislation pending for PBM reform, but I don't think it goes far enough. I think we as consumers deserve full transparency in the pricing and the shell game. And as soon as Americans can see the shell game in its true form, they're going to speak up and they're going to have to change the laws because this is not good for patients. It's not good for health systems. It's a game. And we all are going to need to use our voice on that in the coming year. And we need to make sure that we have access to medications at a fair price. I am perfectly acceptable. I think it's perfectly acceptable to pay companies for the research that they've given and the work that they've done to bring things to market. I'm okay with them making money off of that, but I'm not okay with no transparency in pricing. And I'm not okay with the status quo because the sick are funding the well. And it shouldn't work that way. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't, the sick, the, the, the people who are using the system shouldn't be paying for the well. We're having enough trouble paying for ourselves. We shouldn't be paying for others. So we've somehow turned the whole system upside down. It used to be the well paid for the sick. Now it's a sick pay for the well. It should be shared. That's my opinion. Harry, what do you think about PBMs in 2023? Well, I think it's uh, a major problem. And uh, they're also one of the big biggest problems I see is that uh, they're deciding uh, who, who, what drugs they're going to buy. That is, what where are they going to come from and who the manufacturer is. And that hopefully is going to change because we've had a major problem getting, you know, you can get drugs cheap from India and China, but uh, they don't seem to work so well. And we need to know about that. And that's, 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 there's going to be major changes, I hope, within this year. So that kind of stuff stops. So the, and, and one of the major problems has been that you go to a drugstore and suddenly the price changes and they decide, well, we're going to use this different manufacturer because the, they got a cheaper price without realizing that maybe that drug doesn't work very well. And that's a major problem. And when you when you have a patient who suddenly uh, blood pressure goes up and you got to ask the question, why? Well, they, they uh, the, that manufacturer is not a good one. And uh now, all of a sudden, the patient's on two and three and four drugs instead of the one that was working just fine. And we need to, that has to be fixed. We cannot allow this to go on. And the Defense Department has come to the realization that their soldiers have been put at extreme risk. And they are now actively looking at drugs and testing them to see which ones are okay and which ones aren't okay because the FDA has not, contrary to what people believe, has not been testing drugs. They look at data, but they don't physically test the drug. And that has to stop. 
that's so let, let's unpack that a little bit because it's it's a little scary and I have a little humor to add to this. Okay. We have an assumption that the FDA is going to keep us safe from things, but they only can do what they're funded to do and what Congress tells them to do. So the funny part is, here's, here's Lisa's joke, and I'm still joking about this. I was at a meeting in D.C. at the beginning of the month. It's called Cardiovascular Clinical Trial, a CVCT. It's a great meeting with all the researchers in the cardiovascular space coming together once a year to kind of give updates in their different areas. The FDA is present up to and including the head of the FDA, Dr. Robert Califf. So he was in the room. I had dinner, a table away from him. Very cool. Do not assume that the FDA is in the room so that food is safe. I got food poisoning that night and spent three days in the hospital afterwards. I will say that because they were there, I actually felt a little bit emboldened to have the salad, which then gave me food poisoning because I figured the FDA was there. I was safer. That was kind of silly of me. They didn't check the food that night. Like, They don't check the food in any restaurant, but they offer guidance on how to handle food safely. And they inspect certain types of foods, but they don't inspect every piece of food because that's not possible. It is also not possible to inspect every batch of drug that's coming in from a foreign country that is going to be ingested by somebody in the United States. However, we should have spot checks. No, we we need to test them all. We do need to check them all, but we, we can't afford it. How are we going to afford Well, I think that's going to change once we understand where the problems are. To have something that thousands of people swallow and don't test it, that's a very serious problem. I think we need to start working on incremental improvements to the system. We're not going to tomorrow inspect every drug that's coming into this country. We know where the problems are. So this turned a little bit personal for me this year because one of the drugs that Harry and I have known for a long time has been problematic and the FDA has been aware of for 11 years is tacrolimus, which is an anti-rejection medication for those who've had organ transplants and used in other spaces as well. So we knew that there were some cases of transplant patients all of a sudden not having therapeutic doses and going into failure and potentially losing organs because of it and their lives in some cases. And we started to raise the alarm a little bit ourselves here on the podcast and through other means. I had to switch my manufacturer because the FDA is finally starting to pay attention. And one of the manufacturers is a company called Accord. And it was the brand that I had been on since transplant and where I dosed the best. So I stayed there. When I switched brands, I would get so low dosed that it was not therapeutic. So I stayed on that dose. And then I found out that my numbers have been creeping up meaning my amount of tacrolimus I was getting was even higher and higher and higher to the point where I started getting migraines again. And I didn't realize why I was getting migraines because I was getting tacro migraines because I was getting overdosed. But I didn't figure all that out until somewhat recently. So the FDA has pulled this brand. Now I have to go to name brand because it's the only thing I can trust because I get underdosed with some manufacturers and overdosed with others. So now I am going to have to pay more money for my prescriptions because I can't use generic because they can't be trusted. The article that Dr. Lever referred to in Bloomberg is a great article, December 4th, 2023. Anna Etney and Riley Griffin are the authors. The title is The Pentagon Wants to Root Out Shoddy Drugs. The FDA is in its way. Our government is trying to work within itself to figure out how to make changes and they're working against each other, it sounds like. The patient voice needs to rise up here and say, we deserve safe drugs. We deserve well-priced drugs. 
drugs. We deserve transparency in our drug process from start to finish. Harry, how are we going to solve this problem and make sure that everybody's getting safe drugs in a reasonable, logical way? Well, we're going to be testing them. And right now, they started testing 12 drugs. There are a number of laboratories around the country now that are going to be testing these drugs. One of the ones is going to be metoprolol succinate. It's been sh- we've had issues with some of the manufacturers, and we're going to have to identify the ones that really have a problem. As a matter of fact, what's very interesting is one of these companies that was making tacrolimus and metoprolol succinate has had a number of 483s against them. A 83 is something where the FDA warns people that there have been they've found problems. The only problem is that you can't always understand the reports that the FDA puts out. They're redacted and it's very hard to know exactly what's what. All that's going to have to change and we're going to have to know when there are violations something has to be done about it. And right now I, I made some I made some phone calls to some drugstores about the metoprolol succinate to see what they were carrying and at least three or four of the chains was selling Dr. Reddy and Dr. Reddy's got a major problem. So things like that are going to have to stop. That's what hopefully with the work of the Defense Department, that's going to happen. We don't have the data yet, but we're working on it. A lot of our population take metropolol. That's Topril XL in generic form. And there are multiple manufacturers for Topril. It's one of the most commonly prescribed drugs in the United States. I think it's the ninth most common drug. If Eighth. Eighth. Okay. I was close. You saw happen and was clearly documented in the book, Bottle of Lies by Catherine Ebon. Patients who were stable for a long time, then all of a sudden started feeling poorly. And we started looking in more deeply. You can read Dr. Lever's mention in the book. Christy Jones, I think it was Chris Jones is the patient. She was, she came on with us about two years ago in a podcast as well, talking about the problem. Keep upping the dose, but then she changes manufacturers and she is overdosed on meds. So it's this balancing act. How do you make sure that somebody's getting what's on the label? Can you explain the difference between... So we know what the active ingredients are in these drugs. These beta blockers have an active ingredient, but they also have controlled release mechanisms, which dilute in a certain period of time and help your body take the drug up in the appropriate manner. So you don't use all the drug in the first hour and then have nothing on board for the rest of the day. Can you explain the mechanism there, what a controlled release mechanism does? and Well, it turns out that the original metoprolol succinate has very small pellets in it, and they would they came up with uh, AstraZeneca was the company, and they came up with this formula to figure out how to do it, and it was working quite well. When the inactive ingredients change, that's what changes how the drug is dissolved, and that that they don't always the originating company doesn't always tell the other generic companies how that's done and so when that happens you've got a problem so it, it turns out it's really the inactive ingredients that get us into trouble and more work needs to be done to make sure that there aren't these major differences in 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 the inactive ingredients and you know it's uh, all this has to be put out on the table and people need to understand what's going on and, and it all comes down to money where can we get the drug cheapest. That's Sometimes a, you get what you pay for, huh? That's right. That's a, a major 
a major problem. And uh, that's why the testing becomes so important. And that's what is going on now. And hopefully within a, a month or two, we'll have some data. We're hoping that they're, they're working on it. And and uh, it's looking, you know, like have it figured out. We had one patient who was switched to another brand who had non-obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. All of a sudden went into heart failure. We were able to get a hold of the bottle. And it turned out that what he was what he had in the bottle dissolved within one minute one minute and what happened was he was getting nothing for the whole day and he indeed went into heart failure his ejection fraction dropped it was decided that he because things were looking so bad so quickly he needed a um, defibrillator until we realized exactly what was going on but fortunately he did have the defibrillator because he needed it but when the manufacturer was changed back to what he had been on the ejection fraction started to improve and he is now feeling better. But here we got this one patient, but he got into very serious trouble and that shouldn't have happened. We're getting a number of questions here and comments and I just want to clarify. Somebody's like, well, nobody told me when these things were happening. This is what kind of stinks here, people. I could use other words because I'm from Jersey. When you call your insurance company and you get transferred through to your online pharmacy benefits and you put in your prescription or you refill your scripts, mostly through mail order, through private pay insurance, like through your employer, that's how they're pushing most of it. You're going to get the drug that was prescribed, but you are not going to know who the manufacturer was until the bottle is received. If you ask, and I had had to ask for many years for a particular manufacturer or to avoid a particular manufacturer, they can take that into consideration, but they're not required to do anything about that. They don't have to tell you. I have spent hours and hours and hours and hours on the phone with my pharmacy saying, this is what I need. This is what I have to have. And this is the manufacturer. And I've been kicked up to the senior pharmacist and I've explained the problems. And every time I change insurance, we have to go through this process over and over again. But when you have somebody who goes to a pharmacy brick and mortar, or it's your, your prescription arrives in the mail. If you don't open that bottle, I have some bottles here somewhere and look at the manufacturer and compare the manufacturer from old bottle to new bottle, look at the actual pills, make sure the pills look the same. If they've changed, it doesn't mean you can't take it. It means pay attention. If your symptoms change, if you're not feeling as good when you start taking this new medication, you need to report it to your physician to say, I, I went from this brand to this brand. I've noticed a difference. And maybe we get you back on the old brand because that's what your body likes best. That, that chemical compound was working best for you and maybe mostly to the label. But if you're not feeling well, you need to look at the whys, especially with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. We tend to be stable. We find our mix. We're stable for a while. And then something changes and we don't know what it is. It could be the medication. So that's a good first place to check. Make sure that you're consistent. In the event that you can't tolerate a generic, you need a name brand. And it may cost you a little bit more right now. And you might be able to argue with your insurance company that they should pay it at the same rate. But these are worth having these conversations. We can help you to a certain degree here at the HCMA if you have HCMA and you're having issues here. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen to enough people that we're paying attention. And we've seen it with beta blockers. We've seen it with anti-rejection medication. Um, there may also be some issues with some statins that are now generic. So we want to make sure knowing how to look at labels, making sure that they're staying as safe as possible. Your pharmacist isn't going to tell you it's a different manufacturer. They're not required to do so. So I want to take a step back to the meeting that I was at 
in the beginning of the month, you know, the one where I got sick before I got sick. It was a great meeting. And this is the third year I've been to this meeting. And the second time I've stood up in a meeting and said, I know what your problem is, but you guys don't know what your problem is. Clinical trialists are the guys and women who are looking at new drugs for new targets and trying to figure out how these drugs can work most effectively to make people feel better. Like we're all here to help people live a better life, live longer. That's what this whole thing is all about, right? We're trying to help people live better lives. And they test these drugs and then they get confused when it goes out into the real world that the results that they see in the real world do not mirror the study. And in a lot of cases, it's because the study was done on the name brand drug and the real world utilization is generic. So you are not comparing apples to apples. If they can say that this drug had this much improvement in this group of people, getting name brand, great. You can guarantee. You know, you know what you're to expect. But if you're getting generic, you're only getting between 85 and 120 percent of the original formulation, but the encapsulation for suspended release molecules aren't quite there at the same level because that's proprietary information on how the manufacturer of the original drug did it, and the other guys have to kind of figure it out. It's not equal. It's not equal. They're close. They're cheaper. I have a solution. I cannot afford to put the solution to work, but I'm going to try to work with some people next year to bring the solution in. And there's a couple companies doing it already. We need to bring manufacturing of generic drugs back onto U.S. soil so inspections can take place right. and that we can hold them to the highest level of manufacturing, which we cannot do when it's out of the U.S. and they're operating under the rules and regulations of their own countries, most commonly India, China, and I think Turkey is one that's doing a bit more manufacturing lately. Harry, do you think we can bring manufacturing of generic drugs back to the United States? We've got to do that. And one of the problems has been that some of these foreign countries have so dropped the price that that's stopped people from making it in this country. One of them, believe it or not, is penicillin. In 2004, all of a sudden, penicillin's started coming in from China, the price dropped so much that nobody could make it in this country. That was a very, a very serious problem. And we can't allow that to happen. It's not just a matter of inspecting the plant. It's also the testing of what the plant is doing. So not only do you have to go look at it and make sure that there aren't monkeys walking around the factory or rats or something like which have been, I have pictures of things like that. Monkeys, rats, snakes, right. the manufacturing of, of heparin. Remember those pictures? Mm -hmm. Yes. The heparin was a very bad problem because uh, in 2008, goes back, the Chinese were making stuff. They were putting stuff in the heparin that they thought was uh, an anticoagulant. And in an attorney, it was called super sulfated chondroitin sulfate. And what happened, about 100 people died in this country because they were putting things in there that shouldn't not have been. It was a very serious problem. I but find it interesting that the portion of our government that finally woke up and took a look at this. So there was a White House report late last year, I think it was, we have to fix some problems. One of it was just supply chain. After COVID, we dried up a lot of, you know, stock on drugs and we don't have a good supply chain on drugs. And we realized how we were in the United States, we were not self-sufficient with our drugs. We don't even make Band-Aids in the United States anymore. Think about that one for a minute. We need to do more in country because if we have another problem where we can't, you know, trade internationally because of a pandemic or whatever again, which is likely to happen in our lifetime again, we don't have access to those meds. So we need manufacturing here. But I think it's really interesting that the Department of 
defense is the one who raise, is raising the flag saying, this is a problem. We're not as secure as we should be in this particular space. And think of all of the people who are on all the medications and imagine if they were all tainted. That's dangerous. We need to make sure that our drug supply is safe and effective and doesn't have carcinogens in them and has active ingredient working at the right level. We need to raise our voices on this and we need to ask our government to protect the drug supply and ensure that we have good manufacturing processes and and checks and balances so that we can make sure that we're as safe as possible. We're going to do a lot of work on that in the coming year, Harry. I look forward to that. Additionally, we're working on our Healthy Cardiac Monitoring Act, and I have a big announcement and you don't even know about it. In Ohio, we have a bill number in the House for the Healthy Cardiac Monitoring Act, and it was introduced earlier this week, and we are hoping to change the laws in Ohio to ensure that all well-child examinations include cardiac components of heart health history and making sure that we can help to identify the undiagnosed in that particular group. So it's one to 19 years of age. So we have a bill. We have this in New Jersey. Ohio may be the second state to have this on the record. So thank you to Ohio. We are also doing a lot of work for HCM recognition days. If you live in a state and you would like your state to recognize HCM Awareness Day. Some of these resolutions need to be done every year. Some of them are in perpetuity. In Ohio, we are part of a law that requires them to acknowledge HCM Awareness Day every year. So Ohio's on the right track and New Jersey has a day as well. But we want to have every state have an Awareness Day so that the state legislature starts looking at problems related to HCM and maybe starts to move policies more in our favor, like step therapy, copay accumulators, the abolishing of the what they call alternative funding mechanisms for expensive drugs, which is basically a fancy way of saying we're going to find a way to deny you. We've got a big advocacy year ahead. If you want to use your voice to make change, please contact the office. Julie Russo is our volunteer coordinator and she would be happy to align you with a project that fits what you want to do. We have a lot of uh, online materials that you're going to start seeing roll out through social. We're going to ask you to share and, and sign on and really promote these things because this is what we're going to do to make change happen and ensure that more families stay whole and that everybody can focus on a future where they can get their diagnosis, get their treatment and get on with their life and not have to think about it all day long. Harry, we've come a long way, haven't we? Yeah, I hope so. And I hope we're going to come even much further. There's one quick tip though. Don't walk out of the drugstore till you look at the bottle and what's inside to make sure it looks exactly the same. That is one safety factor that doesn't require a test to. You want, if the medicine's working, you want to take it out of the store. You take it, you got to look and make sure it's exactly the same thing as you had the month before. So the tricky part of that is the majority of people are now getting their medications through the mail. And there's another problem. I'm going to bring up another drug problem. I'm sorry, people. I don't mean to be Debbie Downer today, but somehow I turned into her. It's not a problem this time of year for most people. But climate change is playing a role in drug delivery. And there are concerns that when you get a drug, Advil, another problem drug, Hmm. On the back of the Advil container, it says somewhere what temperature it should be stored at. And when you see what it should be stored at, most drugs shouldn't be stored over 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And some can go a little bit higher. We are transporting our medications on tarmacs, in containers, in metal containers, in metal trucks that are in high heat. And this past year, there were some postal workers 
workers and FedEx workers who are recording temperatures in their truck in excess of 140 degrees in the backs of the trucks. Your drugs are sitting in those trucks for hours and hours and hours on end. If it had arrived at the pharmacy and the pharmacy stored it out of temperature, they'd have to write up a report and potentially destroy the drugs because the pharmacy is required to maintain temperature, but the transport is not. And what is happening to the quality of these medications when they are kept at high temperatures for long periods of time? This is an expensive problem to solve. Either it's going to be a packaging issue or we're going to have to start refrigerating or air conditioning shipping containers to maintain temperature controls on these drugs to ensure we are not hurting the quality of the drug. If there are temperature restrictions on the bottle, they're there for a reason. It doesn't mean that when you have it in the house, you should store it this way or when it's in the pharmacy, it's supposed to be cradle to grave for that drug. We have high temperatures. Is that what's making some of these drugs not work the same way as they should have? Don't know. Well, that's also something that we're hopefully going to be testing. That has got to, we've got to know that. Absolutely. So, you know, I think the, the best way to look at a lot of these issues that Harry and I have been working on for years in different ways behind the scenes, we know the problems. If you know the problem, then you can create a solution. We're not here to complain and whine and say it's not good enough and somebody else didn't do their job. We're here looking at this analytically saying these are problems. They're problems that impact our HCM community, but they probably impact way beyond that. But we know what it can do to our community. So we want to make sure that you're all aware of what's going on. And as we see legislation that can be changed, we're going to bring your attention to it. We are not a lobbying organization. We are a patient advocacy organization, but we can use our voice to bring about change that's going to impact our community. If you're paying for medication that should work at X degree and do a job and it's not doing it, it's consumer fraud. And why isn't it operating properly? And what are all of the shields that allow it to operate in properly and stay out there? We've got to break down those walls and we've got to rebuild better systems to keep us all safe. That's all I want to do next year. What about you, Harry? I'd like to get some of this fixed. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that we can make a major change because in the end, we'll save people's lives and we'll save money. Oh God, yes. The amount of hospitalizations that occur because people are sick because they're not on the right meds. And what about readmissions to the hospital that the hospital has to pay a fine for under Medicare? If you've got a diuretic and suddenly they change the manufacturer on you, we've got a problem and it doesn't work and the patient gets readmitted to the hospital. Exactly. We know where some of the problems are. We're working on pathways to solution. We're looking to partner with new organizations, coalitions. I have a meeting with a really interesting guy. I'll t- I hope to bring him to a podcast later in the year. Just wrote a book about the great American drug deal and we're going to start explaining things in a whole different way. You're going to see a lot more whiteboard education pieces going out, explaining complex issues that we're going to ask you to share with your friends and family. You know, nobody really wants to talk about, we want to complain about healthcare access. We want to say it's too expensive, but it's time we start stripping down. Why is it expensive? Where is our money going? Where is the accountability? We really need to do some work as a global community. And this is from the pharma folks to the device folks, to clinicians, to patients, to families, to local pharmacists. We're not pointing the fingers and saying you're the bad guy. The payers, they're playing a game with us. Okay. Factoid. 21 numbers. If you took the CEO of one of the major insurance companies, just one, and you calculated how many families have to pay premiums for an entire year for that one person's comp plan, it's in excess of 2,200 families pay premiums for an entire year to support one human being's 
existence on this planet for 365 days. That's ridiculous. They're making all this money. They're for-profit companies and we're paying with our illnesses. We're paying with our lives. And this has got to end. And they don't have to be the bad guys. They could be the good guys. They could work on reform with us and we're hoping that they do. So, oh, Rosario, I don't speak Italian, but I'm going to try to answer your question. Is Mavic Hampton commercially available in, in Italy? I think is what you're asking. And as of right now, I don't believe it's gone through the full approval process. I think they're waiting on a price in, in, in Italy. I can get back to you if you want to write to the office. But I do know that if you inquire with specialists, they can probably help you get access either through a clinical trial or there may be some other mechanisms available in Italy. If you want to send us an email, we can tell you, put you in touch with um, some of our colleagues in Italy that can assist you. I'm going to wrap up here in just a few minutes. Things to come in 2024. Our international program, we should have nine countries signed on to HCMA International by the end of the first quarter of 2024. We are bringing in more voices, more languages, more accessibility for patients to access information about care and also to find clinicians. So we're excited about that. We're going to have big HCM awareness stuff going on in February. If you've shared your story for February before and you want to update it, call Julie, do an update to your story. We're happy to have them. If you are industry clinician, you want to participate in HCM awareness day or month and you want to talk to us about that, reach out. We will be sharing content every day through February. We're going to have a Hill visit. We can't have it on HCM awareness day because... Congress is out of session. So we'll be holding that hopefully on February 15th and we'll be having some online content on February 28th. We're going to do some legislative briefings and we're going to have an HCM roundtable discussion in the evening. Lots of cool stuff coming up there. We're going to have three in-person meetings in 2024 outside of New Jersey, including Boston, probably South Utah, Northern California, and Ohio, and then Boston. So we're actually going to have four out-of-office meetings like live. And then we have more Big Hearted Warriors and big announcement for podcasting 2024. We are going to change up things a little bit. We will do a one hour segment most Fridays with a thought leader in HCM like Dr. Lever, Dr. Marin, Dr. Amon, Dr. Desai, some others. And then we are going to be offline recording two 30 minute segments, one with either somebody from industry, an author, somebody who's just published an article, a new up and coming HCM person or a patient story. So if you want to share your patient story via podcast, you can reach out to Julie. There'll be four slots a month for patient stories and they will then drop the week after. So we'll record on Friday offline so we can flub and do whatever. And then we'll send it off to Joey who will edit us and make us look brilliant. And we'll get that out to the world. So lots coming up. We're going to try to be a little bit more structured with our timing for 2024. And I'm getting a new assistant for 2024. So hopefully that'll help me be a bit more efficient as well. Harry, our final thoughts for the day are we're heading into the holidays. Hanukkah is over now. Today's the last day. Today's the last day. Christmas, New Year's, Kwanzaa, end of year company parties. We know alcohol in moderation is... You say no alcohol. I say moderation. We can argue about this forever. Hydration, hydration, hydration. Stress reduction. Don't overeat. What else do we want our families to know about HCM through the holidays? I think you got to be careful about who you're around. And if those people are sick, and if you're around a lot of people, wear a mask. N95 mask made in the United States. 
And that was a problem early on, as a matter of fact, because the masks were coming from China and they weren't working well. But the N95 NIOSH inspected, that's what you get. We think if COVID is over, it's not. not. What do you think about vaccination? It's something that can help prevent the disease and you ought to use it. And the fact of the matter, thing that's so annoying is people think it's over and they won't take the vaccination. And that's why we've still continue to see cases and continue to see people admitted to the hospital. And what you got to do is you got to do what you got to do and you got to take the vaccination. It does work. You got a bunch of viruses out there now. I mean, in terms of uh, we got the flu, we got RSV, RSV and, and, and this COVID. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there, believe it or not, who are are not doing as well as they could. And and if you have an underlying disease, you really, really need to take care and make sure that you don't get it. I'm going to give a little shout out to two weeks ago. I attended a funeral. Her name was Lauren and um, she was young. My goodness, she was probably only in her early 30s. She had HCM and had a transplant two years ago. Waited on the list for five years for this transplant, got her second chance. About a year ago, she got COVID and she never fully recovered from COVID and she passed away, leaving a 10-year-old daughter at home. There are still people who are immunocompromised for whom COVID can be quite impactful and, and it can be deadly. I'm just reminding you all that there are immunocompromised individuals out there who need protecting. When you're in a crowded situation, popping on a mask is a way to keep others protected as well as yourself. I'm not getting political. This is not a, a right versus left issue. This is a public safety issue. And there are little things that you can do in crowded environments during the holidays. Numbers go up, flu, even a cold goes up. So just be, be a little bit mindful. Wear the mask, wash your hands a lot, stay clean, stay vaccinated. I was vaccinated with my, I think, sixth vaccine in um, October or in September. First day it was available. I did two international trips, two big conferences. People around me were getting COVID left and right. I like literally sat next to people who had it and I didn't get it. So I, I'm really believing in my vaccinations. They're keeping me protected. On that note, Dr. Lever, we wish you a very happy holiday season. We hope uh, you and Karen are going to get to see the grandkids this holiday season and have some fun with them. And we will have you back on Tales from the Heart in 2024. We wish you all a very happy holiday season. And I'll be talking to you online a little bit, but we'll be back with full programming in January for our fourth season of Tales from the Heart. So stay tuned, get involved. Thank you to our sponsors, Bristol Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, Embrya Therapeutics, Tenaya Therapeutics, Edgewise, Biomarin, and I'm going to play Gilligan's Island and the rest. Thank you for your support during 2023. We look forward to working with you in 2024. It is going to be a great time for HCM discovery in the next two to three years. Stay tuned for some really important information on how you can get involved in a clinical trial and how maybe we together can make the future a little bit brighter for those with HCM. Thank you all. Thank you, Dr. Lever. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Ross, for being on the back end of this. Have a great holiday season, everybody. Thank you and goodbye.